Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. this wholeheartedly, that wherever you might find yourself on your journey of faith, uh, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure if you even have an idea about Jesus, this is a safe place to be, uh, to ask questions, to have conversations, and I, I hope and I believe a safe place to consider the person of Jesus, uh, and to consider the story that is presented to us about the possibility of a world that is transformed around us and our lives that is transformed within us. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful time to celebrate in baptism, but we are starting a new series this morning. We had a great time in the month of January talking about mental health, snakes and ladders, the ups and downs of our mental health, and it was conversations of relationship and interactions. Uh, And we wrapped it up last week talking about the the paradigm that kind of exists within our culture uh, that kind of flows from the American idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and that, even though it is in, a, in the American Declaration of Independence, it very much has an impact on who we are as Canadians and in our culture here today. And this idea of the pursuit of happiness being the ultimate aspiration of our lives, but more often than not, when we actually intentionally engage in relationship, engage in in, in purpose and possibility, it is actually done at the cost of what we would ori- what society would orient is happiness. Uh, happiness would, would be considered through the, uh, the lens of material items, money, status, uh, personal experience, uh, a feeling of emotion. But we asked the question, if, if, you, if your child was sick and they had to go to the hospital, would you not visit them? A, a child sick in the hospital doesn't feel like a particularly happy thing to engage in, yet we do so because it is meaningful, because it matters. And so if the pursuit of life is happiness... I, I, It doesn't match up. And so we presented this idea of perhaps it's not the pursuit of happiness that we are after. God wants you to be happy. Don't get me wrong. Uh, There is scripture and verse after verse that speaks of God wanting you to be happy, yet that is not the pursuit of our life. The pursuit of happiness can often be selfish, and the invitation of Christ is self-sacrifice. And so to engage in that is important. So this is kind of the way that we, we ended our series uh, last week. And as we begin this next one, you're seeing it up on the screen maybe at some point, uh, the idea of XOXO, Gossip Girl. No, that's not part of the tagline. Um, there's like four iterations of it. There's, there's like a new version that came out, right? Um, I don't know. I, all I know is XOXO, Gossip Girl, and we're not talking about Gossip Girl. We're in church, so we don't talk about Gossip Girl. I've said it enough times. All right. But we are in the month of February, and so it feels, it feels apt, right, that we're talking, about, we're talking about the idea of love. 
And, and for some of you, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, hot church and love and Jesus, it, this is going to feel like something that we talked about uh, at length and it's, and it's over, overdone to a degree. I, I want to first say that we are often guilty especially for those in the room that would claim to be followers of Jesus, of having a revelation of who Christ is, pursuing understanding. Both things are good, but then making understanding the ultimate and losing sight of the revelation. There is something beautiful in consistently coming back to that place of the simple fact that you are unconditionally loved. Pursue to know. Pursue knowledge. Pursue understanding. That is a wonderful thing in a relationship with God. But let's never lose sight of the very simple foundational fact that you are loved by God. Uh, the, The contribution of Jesus in society is multifaceted. But two things in particular we see on a consistent basis that have transformed the way the world exists. Number one is that everyone is made in the image of God. This changed society once it started to get implemented on a one-on-one basis and then on a cultural level. We lived in a world previously, before Jesus, where... uh, the idea of separation of people was normalized. Uh, slave systems not only existed on a racial matter, but within a caste mentality. And then the idea of Christ came in, and then this idea that all are made in the image of God transformed everything. And then the simple fact that you are unconditionally loved is not a normal approach of our culture. There's always a condition, isn't there? It's like when uh, every year, when Valentine comes around, what, do, what happens in schools? Candy grams. Everybody gets a candy gram. Hopefully. <laughs> you don't want to have somebody not end up with a candy gram. And instead of it becoming, I'm going to buy my friend a candy gram, it's, uh, I'm going to make sure that I get a candy gram from the person that I want to get a candy gram from, so I'm going to send them a candy gram to show them that I like them, appreciate them, love them, and then if they send me a candy gram back, I know then that therefore they like me, love me, appreciate me. It's like baseline conditional. (laughs) And does that really change with how we experience life in the world? I don't know if it does. I think, I think a lot of our experience of love and relationship is highly conditional. And we have been conditioned to just accept it as such. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, is the famous love chapter. If you've ever attended a, a wedding, uh, you've, been, you've probably heard a portion of this passage read. And so even as we go through this series, XOXO, we're going to be looking primarily at 1 Corinthians. It's a letter from Paul. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Uh, But a long time after it's written, it's been the foundation, this description of, of love that has described and inspired the creation of poetry and artwork and song, and it's proven itself timeless. So we're going to read this together out of 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and I hope that it just provides a little bit of a foundation for what we believe is pre presented to us as love through the lens of Christ. So let's read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Life is incomplete without love. And reading the description of in Corinthians, I think can seem both daunting and comprehensive, uh, and hopefully a little bit convicting. I think the biblical image of love in our relationships is supposed to be admired, but not from afar. It's supposed to be pursued in the present. It's supposed to be part of all that we do. Love is meant to be expansive beyond our own imagination. And with the help of Jesus, I think this expansion of our capacity to love becomes possible. Uh, there's a book by the name of What, what You Love by uh, James K. K. Smith. Perhaps you've read it. And, and it speaks about the ways in which we are formed by the things that we love. And it's grounded in an individual by the name of Augustine. It's an Augustinian view of human nature. And this is what he argues. Smith argues that we are not like Descartes and the Enlightenment counterparts would argue that we are primarily rational thinkers. Instead, he argues that we are being drawn towards something or someone all the time. That we're not just these ideas of like static bobbleheads, but we're dynamic actors constantly being poor towards our loves so in a sense what he's saying is that you and I all of y'all in the room maybe some of you feel like you're fighters but at a baseline we are all lovers and it's part of part of what makes us human the fact that love is something that draws us towards something towards someone and as Augustine argues when those loves are oriented in the right direction, we flourish as human beings made in the image of God. And he builds this argument 
that as lovers, we are shaped primarily by the practices that make up our lives. And so he begins to distinguish this idea of cultural liturgies and liturgies that make up who we are as followers of Jesus and what Jesus invites us into. So a liturgy, let me define it for you, is, uh, as we're going to use it, a shorthand term for rituals or practice that are loaded within the ultimate story of who we are and what we're for. And so they all carry within them some kind of orientation. They all lead us somewhere. So if I am actively pursuing to get better at something, I'm going to spend time on it. I'm going to work towards it. If, I, if there is an intention in our life of something we want to do, we're going to put effort into it. I was back in Calgary um, just in Friday and Saturday. My parents are moving out here. It's great. We're really excited. But we have to pack up a house. Have you ever packed up a 15-year-old spot? It's, it's even older than that. We're, it is fascinating. How many things you can accumulate that you do not realize you accumulate over the course of that many years? And we were, we have every good intention of, yeah, we're going to sell this house. We're going to see mom and dad move out here. And they're going to be able to be part of our, our, our church and our lives out here. It's going to be wonderful. But part of the process of getting to this ultimate destination, this desire, there are things that have to happen. I don't think I'm saying anything that's incredibly groundbreaking. You want to get somewhere. You have to do something. And so if you believe that love is of value, to love something is of value, then the way in which you go about it matters. If, if you're going to be made in the image of Christ, and if God is love, then the pursuit of the things that we, we love in our lives is going to impact the way that we actually have a relationship with God. You are going to love something. The question is what? You're going to pursue something. The question is what? It, it's always pointed towards something. We are never in a neutral space. Our hearts and our minds and our intentions are always directed somewhere, but the challenge that we're presented is that there are cultural liturgies. There are practices within our culture that are always driving our attention and our love in a direction, and often it is happening whether, whether we recognize it or not. So we need to be aware what are the practices we have adopted that are choosing what we love for us. There's a, there was a study done that talked about the idea of the snowball. And it talks about this snowball that exists on the top of an iceberg. You've probably seen this for other analogies, that you only see the tip of the iceberg, but there's so much underneath it. But the study articulates this, that the snowball is on the very top of this iceberg. And it accounts for 5%. And this 5% is actually the only 5% of things that we are intentionally deciding to do on a daily basis. The rest of our day, our practice, and our life is actually happening with a level of straight automatic. We know that at a physical level, how many of you are actively thinking about breathing right now? If you are, 
Good for you. Like, that's, that's great. I, I, I feel like I rarely think about that. You're, you're breathing, the way that your body is functioning, even the thoughts that maybe are popping in, in and out. I know that the Super Bowl is coming up next week, but I know last week there was a lot of NFL that was going on. Hey, I don't blame you. The sermon might have been happening. Maybe that thought popped through your mind in, in the middle. It, and it's not intentional. It happens. It's automatic. But if, if you're thinking about something else or if something's happening around you, and your mind is still being drawn, often it's because we have engaged in cultural liturgies, practices that have formed us in the moments that we're not even aware of it. Are you following me? The way that you are formed impacts the 95% that is happening automatically. And so if we know that, That's not meant to scare you and be like, it's over. You have no chance. It's actually, it's an opportunity for excitement and inspiration that you have an opportunity to institute practices in your life that are actually going to draw you closer automatically in your relationship with God. There is intentionality. But the practices can actually form the automatic. So that's, that's the grand scope of, of, of love. Now, over the course of these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at, as part of our talks, some of the different ways we, we express love and how that actually impacts the way that we think. One of the cultural liturgies that has become part of our church culture, Christian culture, and even just who we are as often. There's many young adults in the room, even how we think about relationships. We have a certain impression of singleness. And I would contend this, that our impression of singleness is actually driven by how we perceive love. Within culture, love has become associated with sex. Almost to be one and the same. And the elevation of sexual intimacy, love, has therefore made it seem that to be single is to be lesser. And then within the church, we have lost the image that Christ presents us as to what relationship should actually look like. So we're going to look at this really quickly. Um, For myself, I think it's one thing to, to talk about, to preach about singleness, and for those in the room... If you're single, it, it feels different than for those in the room who are, who are married. Uh, large portion of my life, I was single. But I don't even say that even just in a sense of tongue-in-cheek. Like, I, Adrienne and I have only been married for, for two years, uh, a little bit over two years now. And I'm 32, and so in, in, this, in the Christian scheme of things, like, I'm ancient in, in getting married. Uh, but, but, like... In all honesty, there was a lot of interesting conversations that came 
even with us moving out here. We moved out here in 2017 to, to start City Collective. And there was a lot of conversations with, with pastors, with churches, with organizations about what it would look like to maybe find partnership, to find um, companions in the journey of how we start the church. And one of the conversations that consistently came up was the fact that I was single. And, and that it was actually a detriment to the process of, of starting, a, starting a church. And it, it, it was difficult to reconcile because when we read the scriptures and we look at the writings of even someone like Paul, um, that doesn't seem to communicate that. And so I, I appreciate feedback and I appreciate wisdom, but we go to the word and it says something different and I'm, I'm going to feel a little conflicted in that. And so uh, I, I would like to say that majority of my 20s, I was content in my singleness, but I did feel this longing to be in relationship. And I want to say this today. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be in a relationship. But the elevation of one above the other is where difficulty comes. And sometimes it's our understanding of Scripture that can often drive it. If culture is, if, is, if culture's got it wrong... And if we know that church has adopted this liturgy in a slightly different form, I think we need to look at what, this, what the Bible says. So Paul talks about it in this letter to the Corinthians. We read of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if we're going to understand Corinthians, it addresses a variety of issues that have arisen, arisen in the Christian community in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was like an important city in Paul's day. And it was generally known to be devoted to, to pleasure-seeking. It was a center for, for Greek culture, and it was a busy commercial city. And so Paul's writing to the church that has come up in, in that culture. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about marriage, and it talks about singleness, and, and it provides a good framework. When we look at the Bible, when we look at the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, well, and, and even before the covenant that was made with Moses, but right back in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, I think we need to remember what it happens in Genesis 2, verse 18. God says, he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's suitable for him. And so he makes Eve. And it's not good for this man to be alone. And so therefore, that has kind of been the foundation for a, a Hebraic approach to relationship. There's one person who was alone. I'm going to make a companion for them, and they're going to be together. And this is really interesting because God says it was not good, but this is before the fall actually takes place, before sin has entered in the world in the story of the Bible. God calls something not good before sin is present in the narrative. And so this isn't the, a cause of sin that has created something that is not good. In fact, it's just a desire of God within the Trinity, within the Godhead relationship for his creation to be in relationship. And nothing is wrong with that. But this shifts when we look into the life of Jesus. There, there, there's a change that happens that Christ presents this idea that, yes, it is good to be in relationship, but there is a relationship with God that needs to be elevated above all else. This new co covenant doesn't say that this not goodness is simply solved, but it's solved through a spiritual family, that that is the first and foremost, that that is the relationship that needs to be given the utmost authority, because this is what happens. We all become Justin, Justin Bieber, the grass is greener on the other side, it's greener when you water it so you know. That's, that's the line, right? And so uh, that's like my one Justin Bieber lyric. You got to give me some credit for that. It's my one Justin Bieber lyric. So 
often when we consider relationships, we look at those around us and we, we consider, well, this is how I feel. This is where I'm at. And we begin to think to ourselves, it's going to be greener on the other side. And that is the case in our singleness, but it is also the case in marriage. That you begin to look at your marriage and you compare it to those around you. You compare it to this idealistic point of view that you might have had and you desire and you crave for another. The issue that is consistent in both of them is that we are a people that lack the ability to be content. The, the, the struggle with singleness and within marriage is that if we are not able to be content in one, I would challenge that we would be actually be able to be content in the other. And this is the flip-flop of our society. That we're always trying to find the space that's going to make us feel a certain way. But we aren't content in being single, and then marriage happens, and it doesn't feel exactly as we desired. And so there's not a contentedness in that, and we swing back to singleness, and, and, and there is this dynamic that goes back and forth over and over again. Paul talks about this in chapter 7, verse 25. And then he, he continues to break it down in verse 17. And he says this. He says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all churches. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. This is a call to contentedness. That is to say, I want everyone just to learn to be content where you are at right now. To remain where you are and, and don't invest all of your energy and your attention just to try to be, become something that you're not. Isn't that the case when you're single? That every time that you walk into a restaurant and you're looking around, you're like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe they'd be nice to talk to. Or you show up to a family gathering of some sort and mom is there. And all of mom's energy is committed to making sure that you find that special someone on the Sunday or at the, or at the gathering or at the wedding. And it, it, it just, it's all consuming. And it takes all of our brain power and our space and our energy and it's overwhelming to the point that we don't actually have the ability to live in the present and live in the moment and pursue the kingdom of God as we are instructed to do as followers of Christ. And the cost is great because our focus is elsewhere. There is not, it is not meant to elevate one or the other. It is meant to actually just give both a space to be content in. And sometimes, depending where your heart is at, you need to push more in one direction or the other. But when you can do so and be, learn to be content in the moment, I truly believe that's when we actually have the opportunity to show love. Because when we are not content, we become devastatingly selfish. We pursue everything that would satisfy us and satisfy our needs. But when we can be content, we can be generous and sacrificial in all that we do. I think if we can learn to adopt practices in our life 
of understanding what love might actually look like. I think we can learn to give it well in relationships. To not make it our be-all and our end-all. I wholeheartedly believe that our relationship with Christ is going to always be nourished and grown by the practices that we institute on a daily basis. So even within our mentality of our relationships, how much time are we committed to messaging and swiping through our dating apps? And like, what are the practices that we are instituting over and over again that is then therefore elevating the way that we perceive one relationship or the other? How, how are the practices that we are undertaking forming the way that we perceive the world and the way that we actually show love for one another? Now, that's in, that's in a relationship front. If we even consider this as who we are as human beings, there are so many ways that we adopt practices that form how we show love to one another. If all that we're doing practice-wise is, is Netflix and just going to work and just doing time for yourself on your own, not looking for opportunities to, to be generous or to be kind or to serve. I'm not talking about single instances. I believe that we need to find practices that are a part of our personal liturgy, the personal practices that we are adopting that are going to form us in the other 95. I believe that there's a lot of good intention in the room, that there's a lot of good 5% intention, but there's so much of our lives in which love is happening automatically in a direction that we are being formed by within the practices we are adopting. So the question is for you this morning, what are the practices that you're adopting that are forming your actions? We, we, we have talked about it as a church. This idea of prayer can be just a, a practice that we adopt, but not just the idea of I'm going to commit five minutes every day and I'm just going to pray. What are we praying for in those moments? Are we just simply praying for God to give us the world that we desire? Or are we praying for the kingdom that God desires, for people to be, to be healed, for people to come to know Christ, for, for, for those around us to find healing in their brokenness, to pray for that coworker that you know just lost a family member, to pray for others, to, to have this extension of our lives where the practices that we are instituting begin to look like Christ. And if the practices look like Christ, then our actions begin to look like Christ. And if our actions look like Christ, then our actions look like love. And if our life looks like love, then love looks different than the world. And if love, love looks different than the world, then love is going to be this inspiration and this opportunity for those to come and ask, why did your action look like this? Why does love look differently through you? And how can I discover that love for myself? If you want, I believe that we are called to let everyone know about the Jesus that has changed our lives. But the most powerful thing that you can do sometimes is to simply allow the love of God to be the way in which you live. 5% of intentionality is great, but what would it be like if we had 95% just flowing through us because the practices of our life are centered in Christ? I think culture believes that love can change the world. There's, there's many a song that believes that. 
but it's a love that's different than the love that Christ presents. It's a love that's unconditional and it's a love that's for us. It's a love that pursues us. It's a love that shows us who we can be when we can't see it for ourselves. It's a love that makes us feel whole when we are so, so broken. It's a love that speaks truth to us when we desperately need to hear it in our, in our dark places. We're going to dive into specific relationships, and you're going to be able to hear for, from some other people in this series. Uh, but this foundation of practice within our lives that's going to form the manner in which we show love to those around us, I think is a powerful opportunity to be formed into the image of Christ. If, if you look at your life right now and you can't identify practices that are actually going to lead you to show the love of Christ to those around you, you need to start to change some of your practices. If you desire to be a follower of Jesus, if you actually want it to be more than just a mental or intellectual admiration, if you want it to be something that's actually forming you on the inside, let it start from the practices that you begin to adopt. One of the things that we get to do in baptism is to look at the way in which love transforms us from the inside out. How it leads us and it pursues us and how it changes us in all that we do. It's one of the sacraments that we get to take part in. We take part in communion. We take part in baptism. And those two things within our church culture are part of our cultural liturgy of this is what love does to us. It draws us to a reminder of who Jesus is and it reminds us what Jesus does to us on the inside. That Christ has pursued and found us where we are and loved us no matter what, what it felt like or what it looked like, no matter how much shame or guilt or, or brokenness we might have had, love found us and love met us and love changed everything because love looked like Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.